Thank you for listening to the Recovery Refuge podcast. We aim to offer you a safe listening space to grow in your recovery. I hope today's show is an encouragement to you and brings you a sense of peace in your life. For updates on new content, follow us on social media at recoveryrefuge.care. Also, check out our website for any developments in our ministry at recoveryrefuge.care. Enjoy today's show. All right, so welcome back to the Recovery Refuge podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Hunter Abrams. I'm here with Adam French, the founder of Recovery Refuge. Um, we're here in Sumner County. The goal is to eradicate addiction in Sumner County. So uh, we're here today with Troy. So Troy, tell us a bit about yourself, how old you are, and take it away. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Hunter. Um, so yeah, my name's Troy. I, uh, I'm from Sumner County, Hendersonville, Tennessee. Um, grew up here, went to high school here, um, was lucky enough to be a scholarship athlete at University of Tennessee Chattanooga. And then I, uh, moved back here and now I am a professional delivery driver. Come on. Now you, you played soccer, right? In college? No, sir. <laughs> I'm saying that because for those of you who can't see, Troy is a massive human being. Yes. He is a large man, so I just <laughs> I just had a poke at tennis. you a little bit. Is it tennis? Tennis. You, you guys are close. Um, Table tennis. Ball, yeah. right? Right. Balls the ball. What would um, you play, Troy? So I was a tight end for okay. UTC, and uh, we got the opportunity to play some some pretty big schools like Knoxville. We got to play at uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium as well against Alabama, so really fun experience. Because UTC, is that OVC? They're Southern Conference, okay. so we're Division One, but it's a double A where okay. the got playoffs it. are more of a bracket system versus a bowl system. Like okay. the, so yeah, playoff, that's cool. Well, you know, the podcast is all about people um, coming to know um, the, their need for God and coming to uh, grow in their story and learn about um, um, just other people. We want, to, we want it to be a safe place for people to come in and be able to hear and learn no matter where they're at on their recovery journey. And uh, so we kind of always open it up with our guest, uh, not not necessarily in the in the best of places, but we want to kind of end there. So we want to start with, man, what if you were to look back over your time where you when your struggles, and you can share a little bit about what you struggle with, but what was that that darkest moment, that worst moment, your rock bottom, um, and you just felt like I can't believe I made it here. Yeah, rock bottom. I've got a lot of them. You know, they they say you can keep digging, and and my story is no exception. So I'm 30 years old. I turned 30 in January. I've been sober my whole 30s thus far. God willing, that will continue. Praise God. Yes, praise God. But um, you know, I, I really have had some really dark moments, and you know, what really co- comes to mind whenever I think about this is. Um, so I'm, I'm, I struggled with opiate addiction, um, you know, started with pills, heroin, um, and then amphetamine addiction, which, which amphetamines Adderall started that kind of off in, in college and that progressed, uh, to eventually methamphetamine. And, um, you know, I've, I've struggled with every drug you can possibly think of, you know, it's, uh, I didn't discriminate, but I had my favorites obviously. So. Um, the darkest moment in my addiction, 
and, and, and it's honestly a bunch, but what I can tell you is I was on the end of my fourth treatment center and I moved into a halfway house. I was living out here in Gallatin actually. And I had about five months sober and I was, I thought I was doing well. I was chairing meetings. I was involved. Um, but you know, I, I had also fallen into, um, these quote unquote legal highs. Um, many people know like Kratom and, uh, different things you could get at the gas station. And so I had justified the use of those things. Um, and so as any addict would know, those listening, if, if you do struggle with, you know, a, a chemical dependency, um, once you put that in your body, you don't really have a choice at that point, you know? And so, um, where I justified using that every day, slowly but surely my mind wanted what it wanted, you know? And so, um, I, I didn't have much of a spiritual life going on as soon as, you know, the big book talks about being cut off, uh, from the sunlight of the spirit, as soon as you, you know, ingest any type of minor mood operant sub substance. And so that, that had kind of gone wayward. I was just kind of showing up to meetings just to show my face. And, uh, I ran into uh, an old using friend and um, got his number and the Kratom and those things weren't working anymore, you know, so I, I really wanted something that would work that I that I'd liked. And so um, long story short here, I, I ended up asking him for, you know, some meth, right? I, I was cleaning a boat and I was like, you know, it would help me do this really good uh, some methamphetamines. And, uh, that's how crazy, you know, my mind was, but I got that, uh, after using that, then I couldn't sleep. So what do I need now? I need an opiate to bring me down. So I, I, I hit him up again, um, and got some heroin and, uh, he had the needles, he had everything I needed to, yes, yes, exactly. And so, uh, for about two weeks, um, I was living in a halfway house. I was using every day and I would come home and I would hide it from my roommates, you know? And so at the, toward the end of this two week period, you could see, you could tell, you know, I, I wasn't looking very good. I was, uh, you know, like you said, I'm a bigger guy, you know, and I like to keep up my appearance, but I, you know, when you're, you're stuck in addiction, you don't really care. Um, and so I woke up one morning feeling absolutely sick. Um, the withdrawals had already kicked in. Um, I tried to shoot some meth. That's all I had. And it just made me feel sicker. And so I call him up, um, and we rendezvous in a neighborhood. And so we rendezvous in this neighborhood and something spooked him. Um, you know, I think God was kind of looking out for me at this point because, uh, we didn't do the deal there. We ended up moving into the parking lot of the Summit ER. Um, and so while we were there, uh, we, we did the deed. Um, I pulled up the shot and, and shot it. And immediately I just said, whoa. And he said, I went completely purple, completely just lifeless. Uh, and I was out right then and there. Um, so I'm, I'm laid out in his car. I don't have any recollection of this. Obviously I was out cold, but, uh, talking to him later, he said that they pulled up 
thank God we were at the ER. Uh, they rushed in. They came and got the, the paramedics. Everybody uh, pulled me out. And I'm sure it took a lot of people to pull yeah, my lifeless right. yeah. body out of the car. Um, and they got me into uh, a stretcher, got me inside. Uh, I think they Narcaned me four or five times mm. uh, before I ever came to. But the reason this was the darkest, this was my second bad overdose, but the reason this was so dark was I don't remember seeing anything but darkness, okay? And so the more that I have gotten into the Word and, and listened to Scripture and what, what hell is, um, we all think about fire and brimstone, things like that, but, but it's also referred to as just darkness mm -hmm. and, and separation. The lacking of light, the light yeah. of Jesus, yeah. Yeah, and just complete separation from the kingdom of God forever in eternity. And so uh, it hit me when I, when I came to that, like, wow, that, that could be a reality for me to be in that darkness forever in eternity. And it was, uh, I wish I could say it woke me up to the point where I was ready to change, but um, I woke up in that hospital bed, people surrounding me, um, I'm sweating, I'm shaking. Uh, I thought it was from withdrawals because the Narcan will send you to, to withdrawals. Um, and I remember the nurse looked at me and said, why do you do this to yourself? And I couldn't answer her, um, had no answers for her. All I could think about was getting out and getting more dope and using again. Man. Um, wow. And, and it had such a hold on me. And so um, I ended up getting out. Nobody knew. My parents didn't know. They didn't contact anyone. They just released me. Um, and then I called my, my drug dealer again, got back in the car with him and did some more dope. And uh, that next day, the next morning, I got a call from the hospital. And they said, uh, hey, Troy, this is your doctor from Sumner ER. Yeah. Uh, he said, your blood test came back, and we're a little worried you are, are coming down with endocarditis. Um, and so what that is is it's a very bad blood infection, um, and it, it basically ruins your heart valves. Yeah. And so the only other person I've known that had this was somebody I met in treatment, and you get one chance if you have endocarditis, they can do one surgery, repair your heart valve, but if you yeah. get it again, you're done. It's a, it, it is a deadly um, blood infection. And so he told me to go to the ER, get some uh, antibiotics or whatever, run through. Um, and and I did, but um, turns out I didn't have it, and uh, which is a blessing. And um, yeah, it was just, it, it really was, it was that absolute hopelessness because all I wanted to do was keep using and using and using, even though my life was almost gone twice over. Wow. Yeah. So, man, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That's powerful. Now on the back end, uh, you're clearly, you're talking about scripture, you're talking about your own personal theology and how you're seeking that out. The reality is whether or not we're willing to admit it, we all acknowledge a God we're aware of it at some point we were built we were designed with that hole in us to seek it out so in that moment at your lowest point if someone would have walked up to you and said who is god what is he like and what does he think about you in that moment what would you have said an act of addiction you know yeah yeah in, in, in that moment you know i would say that god wanted nothing to do with me um you know i didn't didn't ever feel a presence uh and I never really felt 
like I could have been forgiven for the things that I was doing to myself for one, things that I was doing to other people. Um, you know, and, and, and even though that I describe as the darkest time, there was so many more um, things that, that, that happened that um, essentially made me feel unworthy, you know, mm-hmm. made me feel like uh, the things I'd done are unforgivable or even not even acknowledging that God exists or that God was able to do what he could for me. You He'd thrown in the towel on you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. And uh, and I was okay. You know, it, it's funny because when when you're in the grips of addiction like that, um, you know, God is is the last thing on your mind. It's the last thing you can even um, think of to save you until you're at that rock bottom. You're like, oh, there's no other choice but for me to um, try something new. Um, but but. Even the even through AA and the, the things that I was hearing in those meetings, something was still missing. You know what I mean? It was like a God of your understanding, uh, which was a good starting point, but it was still something was still missing because I had been through uh, five treatment centers. I eventually went back to treatment after that whole overdose uh, for the fifth time, um, and then earlier this year I turned 30 in treatment for this my sixth and pray to God, my final, um, treatment. But, um, but yeah, yeah. In that moment of time, I just, I had, I had struggled to believe, I think the main thing really. Had you, had you, um, grown up in church or like what, what was your, um, like prior, um, connection with God or, or, or like education of God? Like, did you, did your parents go to church or was God just, was it, you talked about AA, was that your first ever kind of, you're wrapping your head around who God was or did you have some prior stuff? Yeah. Uh, growing up, we, we weren't a very, um, church oriented family. Um, you know, my parents taught us, raised us right. Um, incredible people, but we were not raised in church. My church past was, you know, in, in, when I got into high school, I would go to like, like I went to a youth camp with a friend and, um, you know, I got some experience and, you know, I thought I gave my life to Jesus before, and I didn't really know what that meant. You know, I just kind of was in the you moment. You just checked the box to be safe. Right, and yeah. I just stood up, and then I, you know, I was baptized my senior year of high school before football season. You know, it was like, well, God's going to help me win football games, you know. And um, it was just kind of what I was desiring didn't fit with what the church wanted from me because I wanted to – have premarital sex. I wanted to try drugs. I wanted to drink on the weekends. I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to do all these things. I wanted to be of the world more than I even desired any bit of, you know, what what God wanted for me. To be honest, and um, I, I wasn't, I don't, I wasn't a bad person per se. I don't, I don't think I was mean to people or uh, until later in my addiction, but I definitely wasn't having my eyes set on the Lord at all. Um, you know, if anything, it was just an optional thing. And, uh, even being in a relationship with someone who, uh, made me think of God in a different way where it was more of a, um, you know, God is love and nature and this, that, or the other, you know, it just completely, um, blinded me to the fact of, you know, there is one true 
creator God who um, loves me and wants the best for me and wants me to worship him instead of worshiping all these worldly things. Yeah, so hearing, because this is the first time I've met you, so hearing this story, if we were to put a name on it, your religion was probably like a moralistic humanism. Yeah. You you believed in being good, but at the end of it, you didn't, at least at the moment, you may not have acknowledged that there was a chief end of man. Like you didn't believe that you were necessarily for a purpose, you were here to leave a good sign, correct me if I'm saying anything wrong. But in that, when... Um, it's said by, I've heard it said, I can't think of who said it, but we become what we worship. So in that, um, you, if, if you worship Jesus, the end goal being you become more like him. Um, but in your um, kind of moralistic upbringing, you shared about your parents, great people, but they brought you up more and uh, be a good person type. And the problem with that at least what I've experienced is that when your goal is to be a good person, there's no objective standard by which you are good. So in that, when you're in high school, potentially, uh, I know in my own life, if my standard of what was good changed and I aimed for, well, I'm going to make this person laugh, or I'm going to impress this person with this knowledge, or I'm going to say this thing, do this thing, partake in this activity, that will make me good in their eyes. And then you're serving human. You're serving the man being the chief end of men. And so it, it sounds like that's what it led to, was you were attempting to gain entry into these things and it was it was leading to multiple lowercase yeah. g gods that you were yeah. serving yeah i can relate like i for me i think it was like i i just kind of floated like like i knew pe- i knew like I, you can't like you drive everywhere we see churches everywhere and i had dated girls that went to church and things like that and i remember i i lived out of my car i I, like it, that was kind of where my rock bottom was like, man, if all there is to life is just smoking weed and drinking and trying to please yourself, like the most loneliest place is, is when you're like extreme selfishness, when it's everything's about you, like that's a lonely place. And I got there where it was like, all I care about is meeting my need, my flesh. And I lived out of my car for a year. And I remember like watching the sun go down. I'm like, there's gotta be something else. And it was like, I was just really floating in the hands of of humanity and it would constantly leave me wanting more like i was always thirsty always wanting more nothing truly Mm -hmm. fulfilled that god-sized hole where i was created to worship him yeah yeah i was gonna say you're you're seeking out these other lowercase g gods trying to please them because there is no objective standard yeah Um, so yeah that um so in that uh you've because you talked a little bit, it may not have been your exact moment of clarity, but you just brought one up. In your struggle, in your story, uh, what was your moment of clarity when you realized, this is similar to your darkest time, but it can be when you realize the real answer. It's your prodigal son moment. In the parable Jesus told of the prodigal son, there's the moment when he's eating the slop with the pigs, and he realizes, man, this is not, I have a dad at home who loves me and will take better care. The servants in his home eat better than me right now. So, in your addiction, in your time, what was that moment when you realized, man, not only is this terrible, there's something better for me outside of this? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, I was hit with a lot of different moments of clarity. If I could ever see through the, the sickness part of like being sick, you know, it just made me want to change the way I felt more than anything. And, you know, once I was wrapped up in that, um, I took it to the ends of 
everything, you know, and I come from a good home. I come from a great family who has always provided and made a way for us to, to live out our dreams. And, right. uh, you know, I have a, a younger brother and older sister, and um, they have not struggled with addiction um, like me. And so they've been baffled, too. They don't understand. We come from, and my parents as well. We, we come from such good uh, upbringing and, and opportunity. Right. Why am I throwing everything away constantly? Why am I self-sabotaging myself? Um, like I said, you know, you know, I was serving myself nonstop. I was living in flesh and I was worshiping honestly myself and how I felt. And as long as I felt good and I was doing things that made me feel good, then I was uh, satisfied for a moment. And like you mm, said, Adam, yeah. I was, I was just as empty afterwards and seeking more. And so, um, you know, in, in college, it was a very confusing time because I didn't have the structure of at least having a parents around to be like, Oh, right. I probably shouldn't do this. Or I, it's, it's nothing but freedom. And even though I was a college athlete, um, you know, you can imagine that there was plenty of opportunity to act out on my right. behavior and, and do things that, you know, we're, we're not, um, you know, right in God's eyes, that's for sure. And so, um, you know, after college, you know, I ended up losing my scholarship going into my senior year, uh, because I stopped going to class. I was very much addicted to my Adderall prescription. Um, I was suffering from major anxiety. Um, I had messed around with, uh, uh, hormonal supplements as well, which dealt, which in turn messed with my, you know, happiness and, and my anxiety and everything. So it was a combination of things that kicked off this ball rolling. Once I lost my scholarship, um, I didn't go to any more classes. Um, I stayed in my room. I played video games. I just wanted to, I, I was searching for peace in the midst of a, a all this wreckage. Uh, that that kept happening, you know. It was like every year there was something substantial happening where I was uh, self sabotaging myself, or you know. And so the culmination of me losing my scholarship, it turned me into okay, let's get in the workforce. Um, and while I was in the workforce, my very first job uh, is where I got introduced to some of the strongest painkillers. Uh, they're called Opanas, um, and those painkillers led me to steal from that job. Okay, and I. I I stole around five, $6,000 at my very first opportunity in the professional world after I'd been there for a year and a half. Um, and so that, that ended me in the, the first treatment center. Um, but the prodigal son moment for me was right before I went to my fourth treatment center, I was living in my car. Um, it had gotten so bad to where um, I had been kicked out of a treatment center. I had uh, met a girl at another treatment center, um, which I was put on Suboxone knowingly, knowing that that was just another drug to use. And so um, at this point, I'm valet, you know, I'm, I'm a valet driver and I'm stealing out of every car I'm, I'm getting in. Yeah. Um, one time I stole $1,000 out of a vehicle. Yeah. You know, and I'm walking away with three. And you're such drones. a good guy. Like people don't know. I know you personally. So right. I know like you're like loving and kind and like take the shirt off your back. So that is just re that's just pouring unworthiness, unworthiness, because that's what you talked about in the very beginning. Your darkest moment was just or, or how you what you would have thought about God is you just felt 
unworthy. So I can just see how that's just pushing you down mm. further and further. Yes, yes. And and the, and it was all just because I wanted to find peace. You know, I wanted peace. And, and there was so much going on in my head. I thought I was just so far gone that I just needed to keep going. Um, and, you know, I'm living animalistically. There's no spirit in me. It's yeah. all animalistic. It's all let me feed my senses. You know, that's all I wanted to do. And so um, at, at the point of the prodigal son where eating with the pigs is, is, yeah, I'm living in my car. It's the middle of winter. I don't have a window. I don't have heat. I'm freezing. I'm picking up a girl every day that lives with her boyfriend that me and her are going off and using and doing all types of things. Um, and I'm dropping her back off and I'm just living out of pilot, going in, stealing food to eat. Um, and, and literally like eating with the pigs. That's how it felt. It felt wow. like I was just like, wow, how did I get here? You know? Yeah. And, um, luckily a, a friend had been through the Buffalo Valley program and they had reached out to my mom um, and my mom and dad were done with me at this point. As far as the tough love, they finally right. figured out like, Hey, we cannot to stop enabling. Yeah, yes. can, yeah. yeah. We can't let him back in the house. You know, I'd right. slide in the windows and they just, right. they finally figured it out. And so, uh, she was like, okay, well, I'm gonna give you this number. Um, you call it and they'll get you in, but it's up to you. Um, and I had nowhere to go. I had no money. I was doing things for the drug dealer, like opening up phone lines in my name, renting cars in my name. Oh, man. Uh, Just trying to survive. You're in yes, survival mode, exactly. full survival. The only thing that I wanted was to use, you know? And so uh, I made the call. I told the girl. And, of course, she tried to convince me, hey, let's just go one more time. Let's get, you know, a little more and do a little more. I don't want you to be sick. Um, sick as a dog. And I drive into the, uh, the uh, detox facility for Buffalo Valley and, that's when it truly started to come around. Like I said, there was a few more treatment centers that, that needed to happen. Um, but, but that's when it really was, uh, it dawned on me. Like I, I shouldn't be living like this. Right. Man, I, I, I'm telling you, I just can't help but think that there are so many people who are listening to your story and they can relate to everything that you said to this point. And there's a lot of people who are still there right now. And what I'm excited about is you're doing great right now, you know? Yeah. And like talking about that is like past tense and it's like, it's not even the same human, it's, it's not the same person, you know? And so, you know, now where you are and God's totally transformed your life, he's used all kinds of different things. Um, you talked about how you felt so unworthy, which is part of my story. I felt like I was, I felt um, like I was never good enough. And I think Satan, that's Satan's tool. You know, he whisper. Yeah. his, his trick is to whisper lies. Mm -hmm. And he wants us to believe that we're not good enough, that we're unworthy of God's love for whatever reason, whatever we struggle with. So uh, for that person who's listening um, and thinking, well, how did you get from the guy in the car the guy who went, who left the halfway house and went to go cop dope and was in there going, man, I want to get high again to this big stout looking dude who is a gentle giant, loves God. Like, what do you believe about God now? And um, what is that, you know, just kind of how does that play out? What does that look like in your life? You know, um, 
being that I'm, I'm, I would consider myself a newer Christian because, you know, though in the past I would have called myself a Christian, I had no idea what Jesus did for me, you know, yeah. how he, you know, paid for my sins on the cross and, you know, was resurrected and, and provides me a way to the Father through him. And I didn't know what that meant, you know, for the longest time. And so, um, you know, the biggest thing was he started putting people in my life that were, um, you know, spiritual and that, you know, could help me open my eyes to to what the Lord is. You know, I think he works through people a lot. And so, um, you know, today I do spend a lot of time trying to, go through the, the scripture and, and the gospel, especially because I was so unfamiliar with it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and my girlfriend now, she, she was raised in church and, um, you know, she was kind of the driving force at first to be like, okay, like she got me in church. And, yeah. uh, even though I was falling asleep in church and, you know, now it's like, um, now she feels like, well, I need to be doing more because you're quite frankly growing so much in, in your faith. And so, um, but the the biggest thing that I believe about God today is that uh, that I am worthy of His love, you know, yeah. and, and, and forgiveness, you know, and, and seeing what Jesus did and His radical grace um, and compassion for the meek and the, the poor in spirit and the people that, um, you know, that are sick, you yeah. know, He talks about um, not coming, He came for the sick, you know, the yes. great physician, not, not just, not the ones who are well, you know, and, and if life kept going the way that I wanted it to, I don't know if I would ever have ended up in a state of needing God and that dependence. Um, so in a way I am grateful for the trials and the tribulations and things that, that I went through, um, because it's brought me closer to God and, and it's really sparked the, um, desire to learn, you know, about, the most important thing in life and that's you know how to be a follower of jesus you know what i mean like how to live out what he preached in the gospel and so i am i perfect no way you know and and you know paul talks about it too is i know that nothing good lives in me and and i know that too um but but i know that christ living in me and through me um is the reason that I went from that guy who was broken and lost and desperate and only wanted to serve myself to somebody that's now has my eyes open to, you know, how can I serve others and how can I love the Lord with all my heart um, and and love my neighbor as myself, you know, and that's, that's one thing I've never truly done is been able to uh, be selfless because addiction is a selfish disease, you know? And so, and, and Jesus was all about being selfless. That's good. I love where you started, um, which was about the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, people that are listening right now who are going through something or you're like trapped in addiction, somebody texted you this podcast, you need to hear Troy's story and they're going, well, how can God do that for me? And it's like, do you believe that Jesus was dead? Like he died. He's in in the tomb three days. He was dead. And that God raised him to life. 
Like if you believe that and you believe in salvation, then if, if you believe in that, do you not believe that God can break the addiction that's in your life? Do you not believe that God is big enough to deliver you from any opioid, from any alcohol, any situation in your life? If you believe that God was powerful enough and big enough and gracious enough to send his son to suffer and to die, and he died, and he rose from the dead and conquered sin, if you believe that, then you have to keep your faith and believe that God can break the chain of addiction in your life. That's why I love that you started there because that was where it started, where you really realized, like, wait a second, this is real. Yeah. Like, this, is a, <laughs> this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't, uh, you know, we may have followed our girls into church, but, like, yeah. we found a real God. Like, he really changes lives. He really um, transforms. That's one of the things that we, get, we love about the show is we get to sit here and listen to people share their stories and all it does is strengthen our faith oh yeah absolutely yeah some of the stories we've heard um and i know there's a temptation of vody bacham talks about this and he talks about how uh he says it much more eloquently but essentially too often we replace the gospel with our testimony and we think that uh if we can and it leads to lies if we think that we can conflate or dramatize our own testimony, well, then I'm going to convince someone to be saved. And Vody Bauckham then goes about in this just very well done moment where he says, the only testimony that I have is a savior who came down and died for me. And that's it. That's all I have. And if that doesn't sell to you, um, I'm not going to credit him with this because it might be a little harsh, but he basically said, if that doesn't sell to you, then you're either a fool or you're arrogant for thinking your sin outweighs his grace. So to that point, to what Adam is saying of you, if you're aware of this, if, because again, so many of us, uh, especially men, for some reason, I'm sure there's a philosophical reason we're brought to church by our women. uh, And I think that's a, on a tangent, that's just a shifting of the roles God designed us as men for. We were designed to lead our families, but what Satan has done is he's, he's essentially taken our teeth away in that. And he's convinced us and society's convinced us that this masculine type of leadership is bad. And it's not. We're called to lead our families. We're called to lead these different things. But in doing so, he's taken our teeth away in that. So we abandon it. And then we live these mild lives. So when you were talking, it was, um, I've heard, I'm sure we've all heard this many times. If you haven't heard it yet, you will hear it at some point. And uh, there's actually a comedian, I can't think of his name, who uh, he said he's sitting in church and he's listening to a testimony and uh it was this drug dealer or something. And he goes, man, my testimony doesn't mean anything. I wish I was a crack addict at some point. And it was this point of you have to lean into your own testimony. And what that does is it detracts from the gospel of Jesus. But to that point, while no, you don't need to be a crack addict to reach Jesus, but it does allow you and it gives you the experience and the opportunity to experience lows so that you can see the contrast in your highs and it, it brings you to this point of you acknowledge the moments when you were helpless and you acknowledge the moments you didn't have the ammo and the tools you needed to fight your battles. So like you, you come out of it on the other side and you go, man, I need to know my Bible. I need to know my theology. I need to know what Jesus has already done for me. I need to live in that. And not just so we can defend ourselves. Because if that were, if that were Christianity, we wouldn't have been around this long. If it was just a self-defense. 
it, we are a missionalistic minded people right. who, when we learn the gospel, when we learn right theology, we're reaching to that brother who is struggling. We're reaching for that and we're pulling them and we're telling them the truth that we know, but you have to know the truth to share the truth because what could be worse is you share a false truth yeah. and then you give them this sort of unobjective because we've talked about this in the past on previous episodes. This is what worked for me. Right, right. But right. if your solution points to anything other than there are many paths to get there. We've also talked about uh, Augustine when he says all truths are God's truths. Yes, there are many paths to do it. But if you sell one as the ultimate end all be all and it's not ending and Jesus isn't intertwined through all of it, you're setting that person up for failure in the long run. Yeah. So I just think it's such a testament to know that on the back end of these battles, you have been able to lean into the knowledge of what Jesus wants to give you. You've been able to pick up the armor of God. You've been able to develop fruit in your life, fruit of the spirit. You've been able to do these different things because you felt the low. And C.S. Lewis uh, wrote the screw tape letters. I don't know which letter it was, um, but he, he basically, um, screw tape is talking to Wormwood. I'm not going to get into all of it. It's kind of weird and complicated, but basically he says, the best thing you can do to tempt your human, because they're demons discussing the best ways to fool us. And he says, the best thing you can do is convince him that everything's okay. And if you can convince him that everything's okay, well, then he's going to believe he doesn't need God. He doesn't need these greater things. So in that, Jesus is always working and he wants to show you that you need him. So you've been able to do that in such a great way. But in that vein of our goal as a mission, missional minded people is to bring people into that truth and we're to get a little cliche here to bring them into that refuge, to pull them in so they can recover. Um, this podcast is about uh, recovery. It's about the mission of recovery refuge through the great commission of Jesus Christ. But our goal is to launch the recovery refuge and to maintain a mission. That's goal is to eradicate addiction in Sumner County specifically. Why do you think, that's an important, why do you think recovery refuge is so important in Sumner County? Well, I know there's a lot of, uh, treatment facilities around. I know there's a lot of places that people can go that do a lot of great things, but, um, being as somebody that's been to four different facilities, um, one of them multiple times, two of them multiple times. Um, and, and the fact that I never walked away feeling like there was much hope, um, you know, and, 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 and that's the, the honest truth. I know a lot of people go through and they, um, find their path. And like you said, if it's not eventually leading to, um, Christ, it's not, it's not sustainable. Um, that may be my opinion there, but that's been my experience. And so, um, why I think recovery rush for you just so important is it needs, we need more facilities that combine, um, the clinical aspects with spirituality from the book of truth, the, the, the big, big book, um, you know, and so all of the branches of AA, NA, CA, all, all of that, um, stems from the Bible, you know, um, we know they used Matthew to write the big book and, and it's been a savior for thousands and thousands for years and years. But, um, the Bible has been around, from the dawn of time, you know, and so uh, if we're not going to the real source, um, how can we expect people to recover? 
Um, and there's a lot of business aspects to that, um, you know, insurance and things like that. But if you really want people to recover, and I think, you know, based on Adam's story, um, and I know you have family that have struggled, um, you, you need to show them the truth, you know, and the truth will set you free. Like I said, and, and, you know, temptation is inevitable and, you know, who, who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? It was the spirit. You know, we never get promised that life is going to be without temptation or we're going to be, uh, you know, born again and never struggle and never have issues. Um, but what is what what did Jesus use to combat Satan? He used yeah. the word of God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, you know, if I don't have the word in me, then how can I use that sword and cut through like a knife? How can I how can I combat Satan without the right ammunition, the right armor? Um, in the right weaponry. And You're going so, to war with a Nerf gun. Exactly. At the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. And, 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 you know, the steps uh, in any program are, are just steps to get to know God, you know. Right. And so um, with Recovery Refuge, to have a clinical aspect, because I've always been in treatments and they've hammered me with, well, you have an obsession of the mind, you have a physical allergy, you have this, um, and you have a spiritual malady. Well, we address this whole physical aspect at first, right? We'll get detox and okay, we don't have that. And then the obsession starts to go away, okay? And then the spiritual part of every treatment center I've been to is just kind of left up to, um, well, you just read your big book and, um, you know, you'll hear from a few speakers. And, uh, but more, mostly it's, it's all clinical stuff and it's all about uh, why addiction happens and all this stuff. And so, um, I was never able to grasp why I was struggling so much until I was reading scripture and understood like sin was born in the beginning, you know, Adam and Eve and, you know, Eve ate of the fruit and evil entered the world. Okay. And that's not of God's doing. God didn't turn me to an addict, you know, God, um, God can do no evil. He yes, can't author evil. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so um, if you understand the beginning of time, you know, the fall um, of humanity, you understand that we are born into this, yeah. born into sin. Um, and the penalty for sin is death, you know. And so um, if you can get and, and, and I was a part of a really awesome IOP program, I, I went through recovery unplugged. Um, they weren't very faith-based per se, but the IOP program I went through, it was a faith-based IOP, which is really awesome. And, um, that's, that's where change started to happen. And that's why I think a recovery refuge centered around faith, you know, in, in not just a higher power, the higher power Jesus Christ is going to be more impactful for people in the long run. Because at the end of the day, I think one in 20 people that go through treatment actually stay sober for a year or something crazy like that maybe two and then after five it's it's even like the percentages just drop yeah yeah and these are people with names and families and you know and i just want to say this we don't say this um in our all the time but you know if if you are listening and you are in that place uh 
just of darkness, you know, that you talked about at the beginning, that dark place, that lonely place. You've burnt every bridge. Mm-hmm. You've, you've tried every call, like, you know, every window that you wanted to climb in, you couldn't get to, and you're going, man, does God love me? Can God really change my life? And the answer to that is yes. If you will turn to God now, that is my story. That's all three of our stories. We had a moment that we turned to God, and through the power of Jesus Christ, He changed our life. No matter where you feel, how you feel about yourself right now, no matter where you're at, God loves you, He wants you, and He desires to know you. And there's still hope for you. So um, reach out to us on recoveryrefuge.care at gmail.com if you want to have a, uh, just a conversation. If you want to learn more about like what we're doing as mm-hmm. a ministry, you can go to recoveryrefuge.care um, just online. But just wanted to say that because, man, what a powerful story. Troy, just um, so much there. You know, I love, they always say, what is, uh, it's to quote Batman, it always gets the darkest before dawn. Yeah. yeah. It's like, man, I'm thankful for being transparent, being honest, being open to share about those dark moments because it's obvious that there's a bright light. You're glowing. You can hear it by the way you talk about the word and scripture that God is working your life and he's transforming, man. So it's awesome. Thank y'all for having me. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Great experience. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Recovery Refuge podcast. We always appreciate it when you share this podcast on your social media platforms to help get the word out. You never know whose life will be saved or impacted in the world of recovery because you chose to share. To learn more about Recovery Refuge or to support us, go to www.recoveryrefuge.care. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, today is a great day to have a great day.